Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. All right, church, man, here we go, man. Are y'all ready? All right, uh, y'all didn't do well. I taught y'all a couple weeks ago, man. And when I say, are you ready? You're supposed to say something else. There you go. Okay, so are you ready? Man, all right, praise God. We're going to get into God's word, and I know that his word will not return void. And I'm excited about what the word of God may do in our hearts and our minds today. How many of you in the house today have ever heard of a man by the name of Harry Houdini? Anybody ever heard of that, you rascal? Yeah, some of our older folks definitely would know. Some of our younger folks you may or may not know, but when I tell you a little bit about him, you may recognize it. Uh, Harry Houdini died in October of 1926, but you may not know or you may know that his claim to fame was that he was a magician who really could escape out of anything. As a matter of fact, he was said to have laughed at locks and to have sneered at fetters, and they said he had the flexibility of an eel, that he had the lives of a cat. They did all kinds of things to try to keep uh, Harry incarcerated. They would seal him in coffins, and he would get out. They riveted him inside of a boiler. He escaped. They sewed him up in a canvas bag, and he got out. They locked him in a milk can. He got out. They sealed him in a beer barrel. He got out. They put him in a maximum security prison, and somehow he got out. But then in October of 1926, old man Death laid his hands upon Harry Houdini and put him in a grave. And dearly beloved, Harry has yet to get out. As a matter of fact, he told his wife, if, if there's any way out of this, I will find it. If there's any way out, I'll make contact with you, and we'll do it on the anniversary of my death. And for 10 years, Harry Houdini's wife kept a light burning underneath his portrait, and at the end of 10 years, she turned off the light because she realized what we all know, that death had Harry, and he couldn't escape. You see, friends, death laid his hands on the Lord Jesus Christ, and death put Jesus in a tomb, and that stone was placed over the mouth of that tomb. The seal of the Roman government was placed upon that tomb, but on the third day, what do we sing about? That Jesus Christ got up from that grave. He rose from the sleep of death. He left his grave clothes in that tomb that were wrapped around him like a butterfly would forsake a cocoon. The Lord Jesus passed through the walls of that rock-hewn tomb, And he came out because he was alive. By the way, this is free. We don't have to take up another offering, but here's something else for you. That stone was rolled away to let, it wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. It was rolled away to let other people in. Amen. You just got to know that. Jesus Christ is alive, church. And this half of the church is doing better now. This, uh, praise God. Okay, so now now the truth comes out. You know, uh, Adrian Rogers, a great pastor friend, a mentor of mine when he was alive, said it this way. He said, Jesus is alive. He's not behind us in a tomb. He's before us on a throne. Amen. And we praise God for that. But the idea of the resurrection, the idea that there's a bodily resurrection, the idea that any man who was dead could get up out of a grave has been subjected to much ridicule, investigation, and theory. And I don't have a lot of time to go into all that today, but I'll briefly mention a curious thing. Why didn't the Jewish leaders who hated Jesus and were his most bitter enemies expose the lie? Why didn't the Roman soldiers expose it as a lie? 
Why didn't contemporary Roman or Jewish historians write about the fact that Jesus had fooled so many people? Can I tell you why? And here's the attested fact, friends. There is more proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than that Abraham Lincoln was ever the president of the United States of America. It is a fact. It is an undeniable fact. And the reason why people can't put the resurrection aside is because they all know that tomb was empty. And friends, Jesus Christ is alive. But let me ask you this question. Suppose, just for a moment, that Jesus didn't rise. Suppose for just a moment that there was no resurrection. Suppose just for a moment that no one rises from the dead, that we all, once we enter the grave, we are like Harry, we're there forever. What if there had been no Easter? What would that mean for me? What would that mean for you? What would that mean for the world? What would that mean for Christianity? What would it mean for the Bible? What would that mean just pure? What if there was no resurrection? Well, the Corinthians, and that's where we're going to be at today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, The Corinthians, in spite of a clear word from the Old Testament about there being a resurrection, in spite of a clear word from Jesus, in spite of a clear word from the apostles, including Paul, they had come to the point where they were now denying the bodily resurrection. If you remember, Corinth was dominated by Greek philosophy. And Greek philosophy taught that the soul was immortal, but the body wasn't. The soul would go on to live forever, but the body would rot in a grave. But Paul reminds them that our entire faith rests upon the fact that there was a resurrection. So our text this morning is going to answer that question, what if there was no resurrection? And here's where I need you to go, because in the coming weeks we're going to find out this. Paul is laying down this kind of logic. Paul is not trying to convince the Corinthians so much that Jesus rose from the dead. He's trying to convince them that one day they will. And the only reason they're going to is because he did. So that Paul then has to prove that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead first because our resurrection is based upon his resurrection. And we just sang about it in that song. I don't know if you caught that. The Lord's going to descend. Well, dead people don't descend if they ain't alive. Amen? So check this out. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 12 through 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. I'm trying to help us be a healthy church, so therefore I'm going to ask you to do some more aerobics and stand. Actually, what I want you to do is, is the reason we have you stand is not because it's some religious ritual, but because we believe that God is speaking when we read His Word. And we just can't be indifferent to that. Amen? So here's what the Bible says. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? Our faith is also what? Moreover, we're found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even Christ has not even been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And you are still what, church? In your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, 
We are of all men the most to be pitied. You may be seated and may God bless the reading of his word. If there is no resurrection, there are seven tragedies that befall us. Here's the first one. If there is no resurrection, Christianity is crucified. If there is no resurrection, Christianity is crucified. The the Corinthians were, were doubting and even denying the bodily resurrection. So in verse 12, Paul says this. He says, hey, if if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, they were thinking that dead men don't rise again. But the first 11 verses, which we preached about last week, Paul reminds them that the gospel they received, the gospel they were saved by, upon which they stand, is this. Look in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I received, that Christ died. You got that. For our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, okay, and that he what? That he raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul is saying, look, you've already believed in the bodily resurrection. You've already committed to this. So Paul, in an amazing logic, says, now that we've got that in common, let me go to what I want to tell you. So he says there in verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is preached, that he's been raised from the dead, how does some of you among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, in the Greek, and, and, and our translations help us in English, but in the Greek, it literally says, How is among you that say there is no resurrection of corpses? There's, there's no the there, and the word dead isn't there. It literally means corpses. So, so he's saying this, if, if y'all are a believer that dead men don't, don't rise, then how could you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? He was a man and he rose bodily from the dead. So verse 13, he says this, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Here's the point. If you deny the resurrection or especially the resurrection of Jesus, you absolutely crucify Christianity because it all hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. Our resurrection is based on his. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, nobody will ever rise from the dead, including Christians. Therefore, Christianity is crucified if there is no resurrection. It's super interesting to me that anyone who has ever really tried to disprove the resurrection has come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also interesting to me that no one has ever been able to disprove the resurrection. Here's the truth. Christ did rise. There is a resurrection, and as a result, Christianity is not crucified. Christianity is Christ. Amen? Christianity is Christ. If there's no resurrection, Christianity is crucified. Secondly, if there's no resurrection, preaching is purposeless. Preaching is purposeless. Look at verse 14. He says this, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Vain means empty, futile, no purpose, a colossal waste of time. I mean, if there's no resurrection, then you and I are wasting our time by being here. I'm wasting my time by preaching. You're wasting yours by listening, and we ought to go do something else. If there is no gospel, there's no hope, there's nothing to preach about. Everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did was based on the fact that he was going to rise from the dead. So if he didn't rise in our preaching, teaching, studying, it's all futile. It's all purposeless. It's worthless. It's profitless. It's pointless. There is no purpose in preaching if Christ is still in the grave. Why? Well, because the heart of the gospel is still that Jesus rose from the dead according to the scriptures. Here's what I'm trying to say. No one can preach the gospel unless he preaches the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel and there is nothing to preach about. But Jesus has risen from the dead church. Amen. 
There is good news. There is a gospel to be preached and heritable. As a result, preaching is not purposeless. It's powerful. Amen. So if there's no resurrection, Christianity is crucified. Preaching is purposeless. Thirdly, as we're moving very quickly, you can tell, faith is what? It's futile. Faith is futile. Look in verse 14. He says this, if Christ has not been raised, not only is our preaching power purposeless, but our faith is in vain or futile. Paul says that if Christ is not raised, our faith is in vain. Again, that means it's empty, it's useless, it's void of meaning. In other words, without the resurrection, our faith is absolutely useless. If there's no resurrection, listen, then you're trusting in something that doesn't deserve your trust. I mean, if Jesus is dead, why put your trust in him? If the gospel is a lie, that Christ didn't rise, then putting our faith in a lie is futile. I mean, we've reached out to and we've trusted in a God who isn't there. We're talking to and believing in a Jesus who's in a grave. We're believing in something that didn't happen. As John MacArthur said, he said, Abel, who believed God, then was a fool. Enoch was a myth. Noah was the biggest fool of all because he he tried to build an ark for 120 years, believing that God wouldn't pull off a sacrifice to save him from his sins. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Gideon, Samson, Barak, Jephthah, Samuel, Elijah, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and all the rest, they had an empty faith and a God who couldn't pull off the salvation that he had told them about because he couldn't get his son out of a grave because dead men don't rise. I mean, all those precious people in the book of Hebrews, those who had mockings and scourgings and bonds and imprisonments, who were stoned and sawn in half and tested and slain with a sword and wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and afflicted in torment, those whom the world wasn't worthy, who wandered in deserts and mountains and the dens and caves of the earth, all those people and their faith were just simply stupid. And their faith is just useless. Incredible, incredible emptiness if the dead don't rise. I mean, all the martyrs of the New Testament, all the saints of the New Age are examples of useless faith, and so is yours and so is mine if there's no resurrection. If he didn't rise, the gospel is useless and so is your faith. As you know, many people today like to say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you sincerely believe it. Well, guys, I can tell you, you can believe something and be sincerely wrong. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, you can see just how futile your faith is because faith is no greater than the object in which it's placed. All the faith in the world will not allow me to sit in a two-legged chair. All the faith in the world will not let me fly an airplane without wings. All the faith in the world will not let me drive a car without tires. If my faith is in a living Savior and that Savior is dead, then my faith is dead as well. It would be futile to believe in something that is dead. Amen? But listen, beloved, Jesus is what? He's alive. He not only escaped death, but he put death to death. (laughs) How about that? I mean, how do I know that Jesus is the Son of God? How do I know that he can save me? How do I know that the Bible is true? How do I know that the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ? I'll tell you how. Because Jesus Christ was brought up from the grave by his Father. And that was God's stamp of approval on all that he said and did and taught. He was shown, the Scripture says, to be the Son of God by power through the resurrection from the dead. You and I don't serve a dead Savior. A dead Savior is nobody's Savior. Our faith is not futile. Our faith is really foolproof because Jesus got up from that grave. Amen. I remember reading about a little boy who was in a classroom and the teacher gave him an assignment. And she said, hey, I want you to write an essay about the world's greatest living man. Well, some wrote about the president. Others wrote about members of Congress. 
Some about, wrote about their living, their, their heroes in the sports world. So, some people wrote about just different philosophers their dad had told them about. Some wrote about scientists. But one little boy, he wrote about Jesus Christ. He wrote an entire essay on Jesus Christ. When the teacher received his paper, she said, son, that's a nice paper, but you've misunderstood the assignment. I said to write an essay about the world's greatest living man. And he said, but teacher, Jesus is alive. <laughs> Amen. I mean, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then the assignment that we have of our faith is simply futile and we misunderstood. But he's alive and our faith is foolproof, friends. If there's no resurrection, Christianity is crucified, preaching is purpose, faith is futile. And there's another thing, witnessing is absolutely wicked. Witnessing is wicked. Look there in verse 15. He says, moreover, then we are found to be what? False witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he didn't raise if in fact the dead are not raised. Here's an important distinction. Listen carefully. If Christ is not risen, you and I are not just mistaken. If Christ is not risen, we're not just wrong. <laughs> we are false witnesses. A huge difference. Now the words false witness in English consists of a combination of two Greek words. The first is the word pseudo, which means false. A pseudo-intellectual is somebody who thinks he's smart when he's really not. A pseudonym is a false name. The other part of that word is the word we reach our word martyr. Today, a martyr is someone who dies for a cause, but originally a martyr meant a witness. So in other words, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, those of us who are out there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're just really wicked liars. We are false witnesses this means then that we're no different from the Jehovah's Witnesses. We're no different from Mormons. We're no different from Islamists. We're no different from Buddhists. You can just add on and on and on. We're just no different except the fact that we're better liars. If there is no resurrection, then we've not only lost our faith, but we've lost the ability to believe the apostles because they were wicked liars as well. Let me tell you this. If there is no resurrection, our faith is futile, and anyone who tries to tell others about it is wicked because they would try to get somebody to believe a lie. And then we're wicked because we testified against God, and we're making God out to be a liar. If there is no resurrection, the Old Testament saints are wicked liars. The apostles are wicked liars. But here's the killer. Even Jesus Christ himself is a wicked liar. Do you know what a false witness really is? That's somebody who gets into a courtroom and knowingly, willingly, deliberately perjures himself and becomes a liar. He commits perjury. He tells a lie. He's a false witness because he knows better. Now, friend, I want you to understand what Paul is saying. Paul is saying we've testified that Jesus Christ is alive. We've seen him. Many of the disciples talked with him. They ate with him. They fellowshiped with him. They touched him. They handled him. And they all did that after his resurrection. Well, how, how, how do you know, Pastor, they just make that all up? How do you know that they didn't boast up a good story about Jesus Christ to save face? I'll tell you how I know. Most of these disciples, most of these apostles paid for their testimony with their lives. They paid for their testimony and their faith by giving up their life. They suffered, they bled, they died because they believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Listen, hypocrites and martyrs are not made of the same stuff. A man may live for a lie. But nobody will die for a lie they know to be a lie. Nobody's going to die for a lie they know to be a lie. So they said he's alive, and we know he's alive, and they sealed that testimony with their lives. So you're faced with a conclusion. 
that if Jesus Christ is still in that grave, then those disciples are liars, fakes, and frauds, and con artists. So you're going to tell me that the Apostle Paul was a con artist? Are you going to tell me that Peter was a liar? Are you going to tell me John was a deceiver? Are you going to tell me that all those people just pawned this whole thing off as a colossal fraud and we're all just stupid? I mean, common sense says no, but you have to accept that if Christ is in the grave. And more than that, as I've already alluded to, then if Jesus Christ has not been raised in the dead, the greatest liar of all time is Jesus Christ himself. Because Jesus Christ repeatedly said he was going to rise from the grave. If he is not alive, Jesus is a liar, all the New Testament is a liar, all the great women, men and women who followed him then are liars ourselves. So if we have a lie and we are liars, then shouldn't we just be honest and give the whole thing up? But brothers and sisters, we can't because it's not a lie, because Jesus is alive. Therefore, witnessing isn't, witnessing isn't wicked. Witnessing is simply worship. Because it's true, then we must proclaim it far and wide. We have the truth, and we shouldn't be afraid to share it because it is the truth. So listen, if there's no resurrection, Christianity is crucified. Preaching is purposeless. Faith is futile. Witnessing is wicked. And here's one more thing. Sin is sovereign. Sin is sovereign. Look in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Now, everybody in this room or listening by, by way of radio or even online, and welcome to our online audience again, there's not a person that's ever lived or is in the sound of my voice who's not sinned. So let's just take a test. Let's just do it right now. Are you bold enough to tell me in this room today that you have never sinned? Because I want to make the point by you raising your hand if you have. Nobody has never sinned, right? We, we get this. Listen to me, if Jesus Christ is in the grave, you are a sinner by birth, you are a sinner by nature, and you are a sinner by practice and by choice. And listen, as a result of that, you have no hope of forgiveness because the only one who could offer you forgiveness was the one who had to pay for it. We have no proof that his payment was received unless he raised from the dead. God cannot just overlook sin. If God were to cease to judge sin, God would cease to be holy. If God were merely to overlook sin, God would topple from the throne of his holiness. God never lets sin go unpunished. So listen carefully. I don't mean this condescendingly. I just mean this by way of truth set in love. Your sin and my sin will either be pardoned by Christ or punished in hell. But it will never be overlooked. But if Jesus Christ is still in the grave, you know what that means? That means God did not accept the sacrifice of Jesus. See, the resurrection is proof that God accepted Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Again, what does that mean? That means that, ladies and gentlemen, if Christ is still in the grave, then God did not accept the payment for your sin. Because when God raised him up, that was proof positive that the full payment had been made. Adrian Rogers, again, he said this one time. I'll never forget it. He was doing a preaching seminar, and he said this, just kind of way of passing to the crowd. But he said, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I wouldn't give you a half a hallelujah for your hope of heaven. The fact that Jesus died for you is not important unless he also rose from the dead. 
No resurrection, no Savior. No Savior, no forgiveness. No forgiveness, no justification. No justification, no cleansing. No cleansing, the penalty of your sin is upon you. And if the penalty of the sin is still upon you, then you're destined for death and hell because you are still in your sins. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus didn't pay for our sin and he can't give us life. Sin killed him. If Jesus didn't rise, he's not alive to intercede for me, to advocate for me, to pray for me, to forgive me, to hold me, to keep me, to sustain me. But Acts chapter 5, verse 30 through 31 says this, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging on a cross. Watch this. He is the one whom God exalted to the right hand as a prince, pay attention, and a savior to grant what? Repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. God did raise him and God made him a prince, the scripture says. And the word in the Greek for prince is archegos. That word meant a front runner, a pioneer, and he's taking it from the language of the sea. Seamen had a guy on a ship who was the Archegos. He was the strongest swimmer. And when they would come to shore, this Archegos would go into the billows and into the waves, and they didn't know whether they'd get their ship to shore and how they would get their people safely. So this guy would swim through those waters, and he'd tie this rope around his waist, and he would dive in, and he would swim through the turbulent waters. And because he was the strongest swimmer, he would get to the shore, and he would take the other rope, and he would tie it around this rock or a tree, and the rest of the people would get off the boat and follow that rope to to safety and to shore. But it was the Archegos who took the rope and he anchored it. And Jesus, Paul says, is that. He's the Archegos. He's the prince. He swam through the waters of death and death couldn't hold him and death couldn't drown him. And he got to the other side and he anchored the rope and the rest of us come along behind. But see, if Jesus drowned, you and I don't get off safely. If Jesus Christ was doomed, we're all doomed. If Jesus didn't rise, then sin killed him, and sin kills us. There's nobody interceding for us, and nobody can forgive us if Jesus didn't rise. But as the songwriter said, living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Thank God we're no longer in our sins because we have a risen Savior who's paid the price for our sins. If Christ is risen, then we have also been delivered not only from the payment, but also the power and ultimately the presence of sin in our lives. Christ has been raised. Amen. Sin, sin is not sovereign. Sin has been silenced. Amen. Here's the, la- the next to the last thing we'll talk about this morning. Death is also dominant. If Jesus hasn't raised in the grave, death is dominant because he says there, if you'll look in verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ is not risen, and I don't mean to, to be coy, but listen, Miss Shirley just testified that she lost her husband to Parkinson's. If, if Christ hasn't and raised, and when we buried uh, Tyson in the grave, he's still there, and he's going to stay there. What kind of hope is that? Then the, everyone who's trusted in Christ, your mother, your father, your children, your loved ones, they're dead and they're gone. You're never going to see them again. They're all in the grave to rot and to decay. It's all over. It's ended. Death is one, and it's a colossal bad dream. So you're going to ask me to believe that the one who created the universe intends for it all to run down into a grave? That we're born crying, we live complaining, and we die disappointed? Is that what you're going to tell me? I mean, this life is all we can hope for. It's just to get sick and sicker and sicker until we die. It all just ends in a veil of tears, and we watch, and we 
okay in a ground? I mean, am I supposed to believe that? That there's some great grand scheme of things that made an entire universe and created something called man is just, just made it all so that we could just die? And death is a monster that has dominion? Friend, friend, I can't believe that. I can't accept that. I'm everlastingly glad that I have a living gospel to preach and teach. I'm so glad that it doesn't all just end in a veil of death and tears and we say goodbye never, never to meet again or that our loved ones are perished and that's it. No, 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 my friend. Because here's what I believe because Paul's going to get to it, but 1 Corinthians 15, 55, 57 says this, where, O oh, death, is your victory? <laughs> where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, church, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That'd be a great place to say amen right there. I remember a seminary professor that I knew lost his wife when she was a young woman. She died an untimely death and she had a little preschool boy with that they had and and, and the, the seminary professor had this little preschool boy with him and he went to take him to the funeral home to see the body of his of the son's mother and his wife. And there she lay in that, that coffin, and she was there, and you know how they, they look. They look almost lifelike, right? It's so weird. And the little boy looked at his mother, and, and his dad was trying to explain to him there's this thing called death, and he tried to tell the little boy that, that he wouldn't see his mommy again until they saw her in heaven. The little boy couldn't understand death, and he wasn't familiar with death, and he said, no, daddy, you're wrong. Mommy's just sleeping. I've seen her like that plenty of times. She's asleep and she's going to wake up. And then he began to turn to her and he said, Mommy, 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 wake up, wake up, Mommy, Mommy, wake up. With tears in his eyes, that professor put his hand on the shoulder of that little boy and he said, Son, you can't wake her up. But when Jesus comes, he'll wake her up. And I want you to know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is still true. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of the God, and the dead in Christ will what? They're going to rise first. Then what? We who are alive or remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Beloved, death doesn't win. Death is not the end. Death is not dominate, dominant. Death has been defeated. Amen. But it's only that way for those of us who are in Christ. And can I tell you today, if you've never put your faith and trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only thing you've got to look forward to is dying. There's no hope for you. See, if there's no resurrection, Christianity is crucified, preaching is purposeless, faith is futile, witnessing is wicked, sin is sovereign, death is dominant, and lastly, following is just foolish. Following is just absolutely foolish. Look in verse 19. He says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only... We are the most men, all men, the most to be pitied. In other words, he says, if we put all we are in Christ and Christ alone, and this isn't true, then we're the most pitiful and ignorant and foolish bunch of people there are. I mean, if this doesn't work, then I have nothing to fall on but a lie, and that's simply foolish. I've wasted my life. Think about this. You and I fought against temptation for nothing. We've obeyed the Bible for nothing. We've suffered for nothing. We've done the right thing for nothing. We've humbled ourselves for nothing. We're the most pitiful people there are. We're like Ernest Hemingway who said this, it is though we're a colony of ants living on one end of a burning log. I mean, you think about people without Jesus. I mean, what do they look forward to? The only thing you've got to look forward to is just, just a hole in the ground. I mean, there's nothing. 
Without Christ, we are the most men to be pitied. The whole thing is just a bad joke. It makes no sense. If Christ is not raised, the future is no future. But I want to tell you, friends, you got to look there in verse 20. You might not have seen it because we didn't read it. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. <laughs> Do you know what that means? Following in foolish, it's absolutely fantastic. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee of the indestructibility of truth. It proves that good is stronger than evil, that love is stronger than hate, and that life is stronger than death. Because Jesus is alive, there is a resurrection. Christianity is Christ. Preaching is powerful. Faith is foolproof. Witnessing is worship. Sin is silence. Death is defeated. And faith is fantastic. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, he's taken the sting out of sin. He's taken the gloom out of the grave. He's taken the dread out of death. And he's given us a hope, a sure and steadfast hope. Well, but do you know that Jesus is alive? Jeremy and those who are singing today, I wonder if you would come. How many of you know who Albert Einstein was just by raising your hands? I just need to know who I'm talking to. All right, most of you. Those who don't, tell them, tell them afterwards. Time Magazine didn't call Albert Einstein the man of the year. They called him the man of the century. Albert Einstein was so smart and he knew so much, but he was absent-minded like a lot of people like that. Albert Einstein was on a train one time going from Princeton in the account that I read, and the conductor of the train came by to punch his ticket. Well, Einstein was, was looking and all over, and he couldn't, he couldn't find his ticket. He looked in his coat, he looked in his briefcase, he looked under his chair, and he couldn't find his ticket. Well, the conductor knew who Einstein was, and he said, hey, Dr. Einstein, please don't worry about it. I mean, I know who you are. I know you had to have bought a ticket. I know how, just don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. And so the conductor went on down, punching the rest of the tickets, and he looked back, and there's Dr. Einstein down on his knees looking all over the floor of the train. He goes back to Dr. Einstein, and he says, listen, Dr. Einstein, listen, I know who you are. It's okay. Dr. Einstein looked up at him and said, listen, son, I know who I am too. The problem's not that I don't know who I am. The problem is I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know where you're going? I mean, Jesus Christ is going to come back one day and punch your ticket. Do you know where you're going? You say, man, I don't know if I can trust all that stuff. Listen, I'm telling you, until you can disprove the resurrection, I'm on the side of truth. And I would hate for you to question where that is and the truth of that and leave out of here today. And Curtis, I'm not making light of what happened to your son, but, but listen, your son didn't wake up one morning thinking I'm going to be hit by an 18-wheeler. Friends, you, you could leave out of here today and get on this highway right here, and it could all be over for you. And I would hate for you to leave here because you're like, I just don't know if I could put my faith in that. I'm telling you, this is true because Jesus is alive. And he's paid for sin. And he's promised you that if you would trust him, he would forgive you of your sin. He would come in and make you new. He would come in and make you right with the Father. You would turn from an enemy to a friend. You would turn from somebody who was walking in darkness and be delivered and transferred into the kingdom of his marvelous light. 
You can have your name, which is written down to be destined and to pay for your sin and eternity in hell, to your name being written down in the Lamb's book of life to enjoy heaven forevermore. You could have life and have life abundantly. You could have a father now and forever. You could have a guidebook that would begin to make sense to you that this is not about a bunch of rules. This is about a relationship with God. You would see the joy of Christianity. You would see that it would make so much better sense to you why we do what we do because we're just infatuated, hell over heels in love with a Savior who would save us. And we would give our lives for him. Do you want to live for something more? Do you know where you're going? Because if you don't today, I want to give you an opportunity. I wonder if you just stand your feet. I'm going to pray for you. And if you need to receive the Lord Jesus today, if you need to make make things right with God, you need to know that he's your Savior, you can come up here and pray with us and we'll introduce you to him. This altar will be open for anybody to pray and, and share anything they would like to. If anybody else would like to be prayed for, for healing, whatever, this altar will be open. But I'm going to pray and you come as the Lord would lead you. Holy Spirit of God, please take your word and just use it like you always do to point men to yourself and to bring yourself glory. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.